All right, thank you, and thank you for the prayer. Appreciate that. Just welcome everyone here who's inspired with the the sharing time. Appreciate what Pauline shared about Daniel. I too have been challenged with with his life. I think it's Mary Beth that I've heard you say. Am I correct? Where are you, Mary Beth? I don't see you. Not here. Okay, that's why I don't see her. Makes sense. But uh, when Daniel uh, had an accident years and years ago, I think I heard your mom say that he prayed, she prayed, uh, can you help me on that, that you would be a modern-day Daniel uh, out of that experience. And um, it says that he had an excellent spirit. And uh, I have a little note on the side of my Bible. I said, Father... Help me to have an excellent spirit. Um, yeah, it's quite a, quite a challenge. Well, we want to uh, come into the message this morning. I've entitled the message, Living in Light of Heaven. I believe it was Oswald Chambers who once said that life is like boarding a big, huge ship. It's one that you've never seen the one of its size. Uh, And as the ship begins to back out of the harbor, a sudden realization comes over you that you're in for the ride of your life. You stand in awe as you begin to discover the options that lay before you in this ship and right at your fingertip, not to mention about the ship itself. The architectural grandeur just completely overwhelms you. The uh, finest of woods, exotic in nature, was used to make the grand staircase in the uh, ship. Dazzling lights, polished floors, tiled floors made of the best ceramic bakers in the world lavished the boat, plush carpet in other rooms. And you're also thrilled to find out that in one of the upper decks, there's actually some grass, green grass, growing on there. And the longer that you ride this ship, the more you discover. The options of things to do were almost limitless. Your days were literally packed with options. You could either just sort of chill out in the sun by the poolside. Uh, You could... uh, Entertain yourself with another comedy show. Uh, You could find more conducive ways to fill your time. They even had some pastors on this ship that were willing to lead people in a time of prayer and and, uh, preaching services, if that's what you wish to do. People from many nationalities and cultures are on this ship. And you've never seen so many different kinds of people. And with this came a host of various belief systems. One of the most argued points among the patrons was how this ship came to be. Some believed that there was no mastermind behind it and that it simply just evolved. Others were convinced that someone was behind the construction of this ship, but it's up to each individual to decide who that was. Others argued that they had met the architect, that even talked to the architect. Although 
Many times you couldn't tell the difference between them and those that had never met the architect, which was sad and sort of confusing. But there were a few people that seemed for real. And uh, this was uh, good. Unfortunately, if there was anything in particular that brought more attention to this voyage, it centered on what people believed about the architect of the ship. It was also sad to discover that there were some couples who were stepping out on each other on this trip. And there were even some that were ending their marriage and remarrying others. And yeah, there were lawyers on the ship to legalize this. Other individuals got married for the first time. There were some individuals who weren't married but lived as if they were married. There were those that died along the way. Those that drank their day away. Those that prostituted their bodies to gain some extra cash. Some danced and others were telling people about the architect of the ship. Again, I just want to stress that the choices were limitless, it seemed. There's so many choices, and no one but you determined how you were going to spend the day. But in the midst of all the smorgasbord of choices, there's one thing that could not be changed. And that was the direction that the ship was heading. Its final destination, no amount of money, no amount of prestige, no amount of influence could change the course of direction. The, desti the, the uh, destination is called eternity. And that's sort of like life. We're in this big ship, and there's so many things at our fingertip, at our disposal. So many choices. And yet it's as if, as if the ship is heading in a direction that we can't change. Well, Lord willing, this will be the final message for a series, for the series that I've been, been focusing on, on the uh, statement of faith that we have here as a congregation. I trust it's been helpful for you. And uh, a reminder for ourselves of why we believe what we believe from Scripture. I know I have deepened some of convictions on a number of things that uh, as I studied and taught, uh, I've, I've deepened my convictions, I've learned things along the way, and I trust it's been the same for you. So today we want to focus on the final one, which, which uh, relates to the... Uh, to the believer's reward. It reads like this, and you can follow along on the PowerPoint or on the back of your bulletins. It just says that we believe that there will be a bodily return of Jesus Christ for his bride, the church, at which time all believers who have died will be resurrected. Those who yet live will be given eternal bodies to live in heaven. And we have a... a, a, a passage attached to that, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. We're actually not even going to look at that. We're going to be looking at a number of other scriptures, but you can certainly look at that on your own as well. As you know that the subject of heaven is so broad, 
And uh, it was hard for me to determine and to narrow down what part of the subject on which to focus. We do believe the ship, quotes, on which we are riding, or life as we know it, will come to an end. Or at least as we know it, here, today, eternity awaits us. And what we do and what we believe while we are on this voyage will have impact and determines what happens in eternity for us. Quite some time ago, I had, uh, in the same series of messages, I taught on the unbeliever's destiny and uh, what is referred to as hell. And in that message, I taught that God never violates our free will. It goes with the analogy of the ship, and one of the reasons I emphasize the smorgasbord of choices that are before us on this journey, and that is the part that God is love. God truly is love. We believe he is love. And so for God to force something against our will would would be an affront to our dignity and therefore would not be love. And so he gives us many choices. He gives us the liberty to choose between what is good and what is evil. However, these, these options have consequences. If we choose evil, the consequence is hell. Hell is simply going back to being separated from God. That's what happened with Adam and Eve and, and being, having that separation there. No connection. Jesus Christ bridged that gap and our choices can say, you know what? I choose to live eternity separated from God. That's hell. If we choose what is good, the consequence obviously is heaven. Heaven is continuing to live in the presence of Jesus Christ, the light. So what about heaven? What do we know about heaven? What will the great city be like? And I'm not talking so much about the streets of gold and, and the dimensions of colors that is talked about, although Scripture does allude to that. And by the way, it's, it's interesting that oh, quite some time ago, it was while we still lived up in Suneros, one time a, a group of people were passing through. It's in relation to the other couple that we worked alongside of. And one of the members in that group had been in an accident. And in this accident, he had actually died and had gotten a vision or a glimpse of heaven. And he shared his testimony with us, and it was quite intriguing. Um, one of the things I remember him saying distinctly is that, and by the way, he recognized people, recognized certain people that had died. But one of the things I remember him saying is, he said, I, I, I wish I could explain the color that I saw. I said, there were so many colors that they were just translucent. They blended all into each other, and yet they were distinct in its own color. And I just remembered him talking. He said, that's one of the things that just, 
he, 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 I, you could tell that it was very real to him, and it was just hard for him to explain what, what he had seen. I'm not talking so much about that. I'm talking about some deeper questions of what this great city is going to be like. What, what, what are we looking forward to? What is, what is eternity going to be like? What's the new Jerusalem like? Will the earth be an Edenic paradise? Or is it a revived Eden? Uh, will the new heaven and the new earth have any familiarities to our present earth? Or when the scripture says that the old, the old earth or the present earth is going to be destroyed, what really does that mean? Is God going to start over completely? Or do we look for something that is renewed? Well, I certainly don't consider myself an authority on this subject by any stretch. But I'm going to confess that I have in the recent years shifted my understanding of heaven. The idyllic picture I once had of heaven has been replaced with a new sense of awe and inspiration at what is to come. Um, and I want to be very careful how I say this. Um, I don't want to be sacrilegious or, or irreverent in any, by any means. But to be very honest with you, the idea of walking along, or as some people would say, just floating along beside the river of life, or getting to walk on streets of gold, or singing into infinity, uh, actually really does not hold that much of an appeal to me. Uh, there's got to be something more than that. Not, come on, isn't it? Yeah, there's got to be something more than that. I mean, listen, I, I, I just can't wait. I cannot wait to just run up and hug Jesus, I, I, to live in his presence. I know he's right here with me. I want to touch him. <laughs> I want to touch him. I want to live in the light for eternity. I wanna, this is heaven. But there's also got to be something even more than that. I, I just, there's got to be more than something just than walking on the streets of gold. That's just, that's just part of what comes with it. That's just part of the benefits, the colors, the river of life, and on and on. So I want to be careful that I don't add to Scripture. I certainly don't want to do that. Um, so bear with me as I give you some ideas. I don't think we can do justice on the subject of heaven unless we talk about the resurrection. The physical resurrection of Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of redemption, both for mankind and I think for the earth. The physical resurrection, the Apostle Paul considered the resurrection an absolute essential to the Christian life. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17 and 19. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And then the end of verse 19, and we are of all men most pitiable. 
most miserable, I think is what the King James says. So Paul thought the, the, of the resurrection as something that was the cornerstone of what Christianity is all about. Indeed, without Christ's resurrection, what it means, there is no Christianity. There's one thing that sets Christianity apart from many other religions. It's the fact that Jesus Christ died and he rose in bodily form. One of the statistics that's out there says that two-thirds of Americans who believe in a resurrection from the dead do not believe that there will be bodies after the resurrection. Now, to me, that's a contradiction of Scripture. Uh, It's as if they have separated the spirit from the body. If we don't have bodies, how can then there be a resurrection at the end? Now, R.A. Torrey um, said it this way. He said, we will not be disembodied spirits of the world to come, but redeemed spirits in redeemable bodies in a redeemable universe. I think he sort of sums up what I believe about heaven. I used to teach um, that our bodies are not redeemable. And I was, I was wrong. And I took the verse in 1 Corinthians 15. If you want to turn to that, I don't have it on the PowerPoint. But uh, the verse in um, 1 Corinthians 15. Sorry, I'm in second. <coughs> and in verse 50. It says, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. And so my point was that I said our spirits are secured in Christ. And it is true. When we give our hearts to Jesus Christ, our spirits are sealed. We read that in Ephesians chapter 1. The sealing of the Holy Spirit. Our spirits are sealed. And so I think I've mentioned it before. Um, I think it bears repeating. Uh, People talk about being possessed by a demonic spirit. And my conclusion is that a Christian cannot be possessed by a demonic spirit. Because your spirit can only be possessed by either Satan or God. You cannot have both. Your spirit is sealed by Jesus Christ if you are a Christian. So you cannot be possessed by the devil. However, your soul and your mind, that part of us that is in process of being renewed, Romans 12, can be influenced by Satan. You see, here is where the battlefield happens. It happens in the soul, in the mind. And that's why Paul instructs us in Corinthians, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Because here's where the battlefields happens. It's in our mind, in our soul. Satan knows he doesn't have your spirit. That's why he's inflicting the battle in your mind. 
And so we go back to Scripture, and we hang on to the words of Jesus Christ, the Scriptures, sola Scripture. And, and we fight Satan. We've had instruction by, by uh, Brother Laverne how to do that. We fight Satan. It's the only offensive weapon that we have is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We fight Satan with, with the Scriptures. And then I, th- then I taught that our bodies, once we die, that just goes back to the earth and, uh, and we will be resurrected in another bodily form. But I was wrong. A brother, an older brother, pointed out to me that I'm missing something. And I stopped one verse short. And um, there's a mystery at work. The very next verse, in verse 50, uh, 51, I believe it is, the very next verse, it says, I tell you a mystery. And the mystery is that we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, and so on. We'll, we'll, we'll touch some more on that passage a little bit later on. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now, something that that word living being, the Hebrew word is nephesh. Nephesh is interpreted in the English as living being, but it's also often referred to as our soul. You will find our, the, the word soul often being translated as nephesh. So the point in which Adam becomes a nephesh, a soul, is when God joined body, the dust, he took the dust, and he joined it with the spirit or his breath, and he brought them together. That's when Adam became a nephesh. Adam was not a living creature until he had both material and immaterial, the physical and the spiritual components that were brought together. Thus, I think we could conclude that humanity is not just spirit, but it is spirit joined with body. That's what makes humans. That's the distinction between between man and animals. It's the joining of spirit and body. So your body does not just merely house the real you. And I've often, I've said that already in the past. You know, the real me isn't what you see. Yes, it is. Richard, that's you. The flesh and blood that I see, that's you. Joined with your spirit. That is why death is an abominable condition because it tears apart what God created and joined together. That's why it has a sting. See, 
our bodies were not intended to die. We were intended to live forever. Adam and Eve were created to live forever. They were not supposed to have died. And that's why the sting of death is so, so strong. Because it's tearing apart what God had joined together. Our body is torn away from the spirit. Humanity, like I said, was created to live forever. Sin, sin caused that tearing apart. Now, the church of, of Corinth had been, had been, been uh, deeply impacted or influenced by the Greek philosophers of dualism. And that simply means that they had been taught that the spiritual was incompatible with the physical. Sort of along the lines that I used to teach on that graph that I used. Wrongly, I might add, and ignorantly. Plato, one of the scholars of that day, um, considered the body a liability and not an asset. In fact, he is quoted to have said, the body is a hindrance as it opposes and even imprisons the soul. And this is the influence that the Corinthian church had had. They were very steeped in, in the Grecian philosophies of that day. Philosophers. And they followed him very closely. And so Paul was coming along. And he was sort of breaking into their shell of uh, wrong thinking. But according to scripture, our bodies aren't just shells for our spirits to inhabit. But it is a good and, ex and, and an essential aspect of our being. Both now and, and, and listen and in eternity. Now, let's go back to that passage in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, let's just read it. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For the corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought past the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to do some, I want to do some word studies in here. I Just hang on. I know that for some of you this might be really boring, but I'm going to try to make it interesting, okay? Because it's, it's, it's important that we see what's going on here. One of the words that we want to look at is the word changed. And we see it used several times in this passage of Scripture. We shall be changed. And then later on again, we shall be changed. That word changed literally means to make a different or make, to make different. It's not talking about recreating something. It, it means to make different. So obviously he is working with existing substance. I don't see God starting over with this plan. He is taking what is and making it different. 
okay? Very important. The next word we want to see is the word, or the phrase, will be raised. It's actually one word in the Greek. Will be raised means to waken, that is to rouse, literally, from sleep or including death. So he's, hey, hey, James, time to get up. Yesterday morning, well, I won't tell you what time the girls got up. But finally, it was time to eat. We weren't quite at noon yet. I'm exaggerating. Glad goes over to the stairs and says, hey, brunch in five minutes. She was rousing them up. And that's the idea that Jesus is going to do when the trumpet comes. He's going to rouse us. He's going to rouse what has been dust for how many years? For some. Even from the bottom of the sea. Hey, whoo! Wake up. Gather together. Substance that already was. Then he's talking about the corruptible. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. Again, so when this corruptible means what is decayed or, or perishable. So obviously the stuff that we're made up of can perish. It can decay. But there must still be some molecules out there somewhere. Some DNA of James that won't go away. Can't get rid of me. And it's got to be exchanged with the incorruption. It means an unending existence. And then he talks about the mortal. The mortal is someone who is liable to die. And he says it's got to be changed with something that is deathlessness, that won't die. You see, folks, I think God is going to take our bodies who, that are now susceptible to die, that are mortal, liable to die, and he's going to recreate them reconstruct them. And we're going to see that word again later on in Scripture. Literally, reconstruct our bodies to make it so we will not die again. Now, another interesting passage, or a, a, a point in this passage is, and I should have highlighted it, I didn't. But he first says, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So he's talking about something that needs to happen. Now, I've been in, I've been in funeral services. I don't know if I've ever said it or not. I want to watch myself, that I'm careful how I say it in the future. But I know I've heard it said already that, hey, for the believer, death is, does, does not hold a sting for us. Is that what it says? When does this thing not hold any, any value any longer? When? So, when? When? It's talking about something in the future. So when this corruptible has put on mortal, uh, mortal? No, sorry, where am I at? So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then, then, 
shall be brought to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. We're not there, folks, at this point. Now, for the believer, we have hope in Jesus Christ, and we know our destination. And in that sense, there's a, there's a sense of confidence and, and longing and, and desire. But listen, death still has the sting. That's not behind us. It's not until we've taken on our immortality that we can say, hey, death, you're gone. You're out of here. No more. We won't die again. I know I'm spending a lot of time on this, and for good reasons. I can almost hear some of you say, I thought we were going to be talking about heaven. Well, I want to lay a solid foundation for the doctrine of heaven. And the, we, we really have just established a principle. And the principle that we've established is what I call redemptive continuity. Redemptive continuity is what we see in this passage of Scripture in Corinthians 15. And that simply means that God is taking what exists prior to death and redeeming it in the life to come. And we see the same thing happening with Jesus. The ultimate proof that Christ's resurrected body was the same body which they hung on the cross is the empty tomb. That along with the fact that later he came to the disciples and he instructed them to behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, he said, handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. There was redemptive continuity in Jesus' body. It was the same body that they had hung on the cross, and it was resurrected. Later he challenged Thomas, see my hands and touch my side. It was the same body that was crucified, yet he ate. He recognized people. Some of them were a little bit confused about who he was, but at some point they recognized him. but he could also walk through doors. I don't understand it, but I'm looking forward to it. Keep your doors locked. There was continuity between his pre-body and his post-body resurrection. And from this, I would like to make a proposition on the basis of redemptive continuity, I would like to propose that the new heaven and the new earth is referred to this present universe, but as a changed earth, a redeemed earth, a glorified earth. Now, I know that probably throws a lot of questions in your mind. The term new heaven and new earth 
in scripture can be referred to or is referred to as or can be interpreted as a new universe. Could it be that could it be that scripture is saying that our current earth and universe will undergo a cataclysmic change similar to what was experienced at the time of the flood except this time by fire? The other proposition is that our past resurrected bodies will have our post-resurrected bodies will have similarities to our pre-resurrected bodies, although redeemed and reconstructed. The Apostle Paul, anointed by the Holy Spirit, uh, had in a divine encounter with a, with a lame man in, in Acts chapter 3, I believe it is, and uh, remember the story, he was walking along, heading out to a prayer meeting at the temple and uh, met this lame man and he begged him to heal him and he said, hey, uh, oh no, he begged him for money and he said, hey, I don't have any money, but what I give, what I have, I'll give to you. And, and uh, in the name of Jesus, he was healed. Well, this stirred a lot of interest with the Jewish people. And so he just took on that opportunity to just preach a message right there. And in that message, if you would read in chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, he mentions something that is an interesting detail that is often overlooked or that often gets missed. It says like this, that he may send Jesus Christ, and I'm sort of breaking in the middle, it was just too long to put it all down, but you can go back and read it for yourself, but I'm just pulling out uh, excerpts of 21 22, that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. In other words, Jesus had been received in heaven and would remain there until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised he would do. That word restoration literally means to reconstruct. Obviously, Peter didn't see any conflict with what he said in the book of Acts and what he said years later in, the second, in his second epistle. Although we look at it and we say, hey, wait a minute. Um, on the surface, it doesn't look like it's lining up. So I want to go back to what he said later on in the book of Peter. Let's read that passage. 2 Peter chapter 3, same man, inspired by the same spirit. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and, go and godliness, looking for and hasting to the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. couple words again. 
I used to think that this, this verse, according to this verse, that the heavens and the earth will pass away with a great noise, the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. I used to think that planet earth will dissolve, will go to nothing, will go away, will pass away. Um, but I'm rethinking that. Um, I, I'm beginning to understand it a little bit different now that I've really, that, that I've, and, and this, has been, this has been an ongoing study for me. This is not just a recent. But let's just do a little bit of word study in this again, in this passage of Scripture. The word will be burned up means to burn down to the ground. That is consume holy. So that's what's going to happen with the things of this earth. The new heaven and the new earth, especially that word new is what I'm focusing in on, not new as opposed to old, but new in quality and superior in character. So when Corinthians says that, well, let me back up. Let's make it personal. About 35 years ago, by the way, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, over in Maple Lawn. Um, uh, Brother Collier was having some meetings there, and so I, I, I visited there a couple evenings. It was one evening as I was sitting there, I thought to myself, huh, this is where it all started for me. I was there at a revival meeting when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ about 35 years ago. When I put the number to it, I was surprised. Didn't realize it was that long ago. About 35 years ago, I became a new man. Old things passed away. Behold, all things became new. Now, did my facial features change? Eh, I got a little bit more gray, but didn't have anything to do with that change back then. A little more weight. Glasses. Thank you. Fortunately, I have false teeth yet. But it's the same word that Paul uses when he says, all things pass away, behold, all things become new. There isn't a new body that you take on. He takes what is there already and he reconstructs it. It makes you a different person. It causes you to have different desires, different values, or it should, certainly. It's new. That's the idea here that we look for. And then something else that we really need to look at is the word righteousness. It's almost backwards. It should almost be the other way around, but it, it's stated here, so I'll go that order. It means equity of character and act. And then the word dwell means to house permanently, that is to reside So, in this reconstruction that God is going to perform is going to be an excellence of spirit, of character, of righteousness that will reside permanently. Um, John Piper, I like what he said, 
what, what Peter may well mean in this passage, the passage we just looked at in Peter there, what Peter may well mean in, is that the end of this age, that in the end of this age, there will be a cataclysmic event that brings this world to an end as we know it, not putting it out of existence, but wiping out that wiping out all that is evil and cleansing it by fire and fitting it for an age of glory and righteousness and peace that will never end. I'd like to conclude with several thoughts. One is that it matters what we do on the ship. There's a lot of things that we're not quite clear about in the future. Um, even the, the way it's all going to play out. And, and certainly, I, I, would, I would be very open to be teachable if I've taught something that is wrong today. Um, but I, 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 I think we've had a distorted view of heaven in the past. I know I have. I, I just believe there's going to be more to heaven than uh, fishing all day, or that might be included for one day, or of course there won't be a day, and so it's just really hard to put terms to heaven, to eternity. Um, I... I, I just question whether there won't be a glorified state of what we're experiencing now. Can you imagine? Go back to the place, go back to a place where you just stood in absolute awe of creation. Um, I know that happened to me over in the Alps when we were over there a couple years ago and just the grandeur of those mountains and just some of the areas that we were in. It's just like, man, don't tell me that there was no mastermind behind it. But listen, I saw it in a flawed stage, in a state of being flawed. I, I can't imagine seeing it or something similar without the taint, the taint of sin. Are we going to see those mountains? I, I, I don't know. I mean, you tell me, Adam. I'm not sure. I, I wonder whether we're going to see some familiarities of what we see today. But more importantly is what we do while we're still on the ship. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 and 15 says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so through fire. John basically says the same thing in Revelations fourteen thirteen. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they, that they may rest from their labors and their works 
follow them. There are some elements of this earth that are going to be, ca- that are going to be carried over into the new earth. This passage of scripture also coincides with the passage that we saw in 2 Peter 3. Where he said that the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. There are certain aspects of works referred to in this passage in Corinthians as wood, hay, and straw, wood, hay, and stubble, that will be burned up. And so it would behoove us to pause every day to evaluate what and where my energies are going. Is, is, is my energy as, as narrow as, as a big, huge truck or a nice, lush, uh, plush home or, or you name it, whatever the hobbies are, whatever is most passionate in your life? It would just behoove us to take a moment to reevaluate every day. Where are my energies going? Because some of this stuff is going to be burned up, and it will not matter squat. And the last one I will leave with you is that there are works, actions referred to as gold, silver, and precious stones that cannot and will not be burned up, but will carry over in the reconstructed earth or redeemed earth. And so my challenge to you this morning is to be faithful with what God has given you. Right at your fingertips, on this ship, on this journey. You know, it's just so easy to get sidetracked in the here and now with the dazzling lights, the plush floors, the exotic woods and whatever you name it. I mean, I'm just naming some things that I mentioned in the, in the analogy of the ship. But whatever it is, your job, your prestige, your image, um, your retirement fund, whatever it is, I, I, my, my challenge to you this morning is make sure, be faithful, with what God has given you. Because that's what's going to get carried over in the next life. Let's pray. And Keith, I'm going to let you close. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before you this morning. And uh, we come to you with a renewed sense of awe and desire and inspiration at what is to come. Um, I would pray, Father, that if there would be anyone here this morning that is struggling and would not know whether they're going to make it or not, I would just pray that they would come to, to know you as a personal Lord and Savior. Lord, where there are individuals that, that do know you and have talked to you and that have a false sense of hope, oh God, I pray that you would waken their spirits and that you would stir something deep within their hearts to help them know and realize that it takes more than just performance. It takes a relationship and a walk with you, a daily walk with you. And go out, God, for those who, who really do want to do what is right, and we get sidetracked by the cares of this world, oh God, forgive us and set us on the right course. 
and uh, help us realign ourselves with you. Lord, we look forward to spending eternity with you, and I just pray that there would not be anyone here or our neighbors around us, Lord, that would miss the, vo- the, 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 uh, the uh, everlasting life with you. We pray this in your name with thanksgiving. Amen.